that's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So this is the Meat for Tea cast. You might always start like that. Who knows? Hello, hello. Welcome to the Meat for Tea cast. I'm Mark Allen Miller. I'm Elizabeth McDuffie. This is season five. Episode 10. Oh, ho, ho. Oh, ho, ho. The last episode we're going to bring to you before Christmas, and we need to apologize for having had rather a long break. Got a lot of stuff going on over here. We do. There's all manner of things going on, including (laughs) solving a housing dilemma. Yeah, and... Well, it's not really a dilemma. No, it's not a dilemma. You guys are our friends. We can tell you. Our landlord... About a week and a half ago, decided to tell us that he was getting ready to sell the place, which is yeah, really great. And we don't want to move. We Pre-Christmas love it. We love it here. This is where we want to be, kind of forever. So we're going to try to figure out a way to stay, as in buy it. So there's that. We're making history. And I am no longer, I'm no longer working at Stone Lab. I have left my business, so that was occupying a lot of my time clearing out all my equipment. If, uh, if you all need mixing or mastering services, I can be found uh, right now on Facebook if you search for the page Radio Valkyrie. That's where I'm operating. I will have a website and a proper email as well pretty soon. Anyhow, what are we here for? We we'll call Radio episode? Valkyrie one of our sponsors for this podcast. Yes. We're well, here, first of all, to express our utter sadness and disappointment that upon checking both an Apple podcast in good pods. I saw that there was crickets in the manner of reviews and comments. And subsequently, our rankings in good pods have slipped Mm -hmm. to number three. Number three. Number three. We'd been sitting consistently at number one, sometimes sliding down to number two between episodes. And you know, the thing that makes the difference is y'all just popping on to say some comments about an episode you like, leave your five stars. I've said it before, but I'm happy to repeat it. (laughs) It's very easy to keep your life simple by just going to Apple Podcasts, doing that five-star review with writing, copy and paste that right on over to Good Pods, bim, bam, boom. You're done, and we'll read your review on the podcast. Even better, if you'd like to break up the sound of our voices with some others, like your own, mm-hmm. you can record a voice memo and yep. simply email it to us. At meetforteacast at gmail.com. Yes, that would be great. This episode is a special live recording of a reading at one of our favorite bookstores in Northampton, the Splendor Solace Bookstore. If you go back a few episodes, you can hear our delightful chat with the proprietors of said bookstore. Yeah, and we actually had a we had a live recording of uh, Lindsay Adkins. Yes, this is well. another one such bookstore book launch party. This one is for John Shire's book, For Now. 100, 100 word stories. That's right. Exactly 100. 
pieces of flash fiction that are exactly 100 words long. A terrific book. We are we are thrilled to have been, you know, tapped as the publisher for it. It's a marvelous read. It's and of course, an honor to have Meat for Tea Press on this yeah, book. Yeah, it's, it's just so good. So he re- does a bunch of readings from, from the book and a little bit of Q&A and a nice little chit-chat at the end. And traffic and, driving by the store. Yeah. For a true ambient feeling. You, we, we'll, we'll transport you to the scene. <laughs> it is pretty verite, but that's how these things often are, and that's part of the charm. It's fantastic. We have another new book, too, that just recently dropped, and that's from John Yamaris. This is our second book we've published by John Yamaris. And it's got perhaps one of my favorite book titles. I like all the titles of our offerings, but this one's really fun. Yeah. You want to tell them? (laughs) People and Other Bad Ideas. By John Yamaris. (laughs) So that's out now. And I'd like to suggest to you, you know, there's not that many. If you're listening, when this drops, there's not that many shopping days. It's getting tight. However, you can do one stop shopping at meatfortea.com you can avail yourself (laughs) of copies of our books the new issue or any issue of the magazine except for some of our very early ones magazine subscription we got a lot of back issues if if the back issue list doesn't contain one that you're interested in please email us at meatfortea at gmail.com reach out and ask we might have it we might we've got a bunch we got a bunch on our shelves here we just can only really honestly keep 10 10 available at a time. It's just too much to manage otherwise. Also, if you don't subscribe to Meat for Tea, think about it. It's one of the very best ways to support what we do here. Mm-hmm. To subscribe to Meat for Tea. I think it might be the best way to support what we do. It is. Although all buying the books, subscribing to Meat for Tea, taking advantage of the opportunities to donate. I do fundraising drives, especially in the fall. And shopping our spring store where we are running a sale again. Mm-hmm. Merry Meat. M-E-A-T. Merry Meat is the, the code. Free shipping. At the Meat for Tea spring store. All of these things can be found as links on the meatfortea.com website. Please help us out and avail yourself of some really fine, lovely products. You are probably getting ready to do some holiday baking. There are some very lovely meat for tea aprons to keep your fancy Christmas or Kwanzaa or Festivus finery from getting all flowery. I'm embarrassed to say we don't have one of our own aprons yet. We're going to get one. Yeah, we have to. We have to. Why don't we have one of our own aprons? Because we're waiting for you guys to get one and post a picture of you wearing it to the Meat for Tea cast Facebook page so we can see what it looks like. Or the Meat for Tea page. That, that's good too. Or both. Or or Instagram. Yes, you can follow us there. Or I'm still hanging in at X. We don't. I'm just waiting for more members of my writing community to, to come join me over on Threads. Meet for Tea is on Threads. There, oh, there yeah. I should update the uh, the outro to the. We podcast. are there. Yeah. But I, I don't know how much longer I'll be on X, especially after learning that. Tucker Carlson had a meeting with the abhorrent musky one and talked him into readmitting Alex Jones to the site. Sorry to darken your evenings with the sound of that name. But anyway, come join me over on threads and flush out my writing community so I can feel 
that I've got enough of my writing community over threads that I can turn my back and slam the door forever on X. You can't find me on X, by the way. I left a while ago. Well, you can find me at, at Elizabeth, but probably days are numbers, so you can you can find me for tea over at Threads. And that's probably about enough babbling yeah. from us. I think so. I think I think I think let's 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 lighten the mood a little bit with a really nice recording of John Shire at Splendor Solace Books. Reading from for now. Ooh, speaking of Splendor Solace. Oh. If you are doing your Christmas shopping. That's another place for where local people can find meat for tea mm, and our books. That's and true. Splendor Souls has a lot of other fantastic offerings too. Yeah, a really well-rounded bookstore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great. We love Diane and Kevin. Mm-hmm. Shall we tuck into this? Let's tuck in. I don't like that word tuck after mentioning Mr. Carlson all of a sudden I... <laughs> All of a sudden, I don't want to use that one. Let's dig in. It's better than the other T word. Let's dig in. Uh, Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming. Uh, I'm John Shire. Uh, This is my newest book. Uh, It's called For Now, 100 100 Word Stories. Uh, I had a hard time deciding if the numeral 100 should be first or if the written out number 100 should be first. But I went with this. I, I hope that... That's what makes the book successful. Um, I, I want to thank um, Diane and Kevin for hosting this. And I also want to thank Elizabeth and Mark, who are the publishers of this book, uh, Meet for Tea Press. And they also do Meet for Tea, the literary journal, where probably at least a third of the stories in the book originally appeared. Um, so they're patron saints for writers uh, here in this area. So I'm very happy that they can be here and that they published this book. Um, I just want to do a quick plug for my previous book. It's called Stumbling Through Adulthood, and it's linked stories. They're short stories where characters reappear in different stages of their lives, and their interesting interactions with the setting and themes, uh, which is what, what makes them linked stories. And I always give a really academic description of that. But somebody told me, oh, it's the Marvel Universe without superheroes. (laughs) So, okay, that works. Um, But uh, these are long stories. Hi! Come on. Come in. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Our neighborhood is very well represented here tonight. (laughs) That's okay. Share if you like. Um, so these are these are pretty long stories. The longest story in here is about, 50, or the shortest is about fifteen hundred words. So that's like fifteen percent of this book in the shortest story. The longest story is ten thousand words. So that's like the length of this whole book. Uh, so it's an interesting jump from writing traditional length stories that are much longer to writing stories that are exactly one hundred words, not counting the title. That's often a controversy in 100-word stories. Do you count the title or don't you? <laughs> um, the, the general consensus is you don't count the title. Um, so there are people who have like 30-word titles for their 100-word story. That's a little <laughs> not good. But um, So uh, what I wanted to do is uh, just read some pieces from it. Uh, before I do, though, I want to acknowledge, see how beautiful this book is? It is. The book designer is Erin over here, who did a wonderful job. Uh, She's, besides being a great designer, she's our neighbor and a very good friend. And she took a photo that I took of uh, Skakit Beach in Cape Cod and turned it into this cover. And when I saw it, I I gasped. 
I was so happy with this cover. So thank you, Aaron. Um, But I'm just going to jump in uh, and read a few. The fun thing about this book is that I spent probably a week just thinking of how should I arrange these stories. And I was grouping them thematically and uh, trying to have ones that complemented each other. And I just couldn't figure it out. So they're in here alphabetically by title. (laughs) The first story is called Advice. And the last story is called Years. So we don't have a Z. I should have put a story about a zebra in here, but I didn't. Um, But I'll just jump in and I've marked a few that I kind of like. And I'll read them and talk about little things related to writing 100-word stories. Uh, This first one is called At the Feeder. How many of you like bird feeders? Ooh, this is a bird feeder theme story. At the feeder. Two birds met at the feeder. One yellow, one gray. Feeder's getting low, said yellow. Human needs to fill it, said gray. You'd think he'd notice, said yellow. Stares at us through the window all day. Get a life and keep this feeder full, said gray. Suddenly, a huge dark squirrel shape leaped onto the feeder. Yellow and gray scattered to neighboring branches. Hey, yelled the human from the window. Get off of there. The squirrel spasmed and flopped clumsily to the ground, scuttling away. Yellow and gray returned, pecking steadily. Good human, said yellow. Better than I expected, said gray. So one fun thing about 100-word stories is they're stories. Um, They're not fragments. They're not vignettes. They're not... uh, Some of them are kind of prose poems, but mostly they're stories. I feel like they have a definite beginning. The beginning might not actually be part of the story. It might be something that's hinted at, but you create it yourself as the reader. They have a definite middle and a definite end. Uh, Sometimes it's not a complete resolution. The reader creates the resolution with the author, which is really fun and interesting when it works. When it doesn't, people just sort of shrug and say, what's with the ending of this story? (laughs) Um, But I I really try to make them fulfill the elements of of fiction that we learned in uh, high school English class. There are characters who are developed. They may not change in a vast way during the story, but they're really clear and they carry out the the plot of the story. There's plot in there. There's often action. A lot of it is implied. Some of it is very concentrated. Uh, There's generally some kind of a setting. Um, So it's, it's really fun and a great challenge to create full stories in just 100 words. Um, And they often reflect the same kinds of things that modern short story writers think and write about. Uh, For instance, there are a lot of short stories that are really interesting about people doing home projects. That's a fertile ground for short stories. And that's kind of the inspiration for this story. It's called Civilization. So I give them little tiny meaningless titles like Civilization. The homeowner woke early each weekday to dress well and tap computer keys in exchange for money. On weekends, he wore sloppy clothes and traded large portions of that money for supplies he hauled from a big box hardware store to his home. He sweated and swore and transformed those supplies into new porch steps and updated deck boards and rescreened screen doors 
and layers of paint atop the fading surfaces of his house. The homeowner could have exchanged his money for other people to come to his home and do the work for him, but what fun would that be? Um, I experiment a little bit now and then with science fiction and fantasy. So there are are a couple of science fiction stories in here. Uh, And this is the first one. It's called Choice. Howard hosted... Howard, we have a Howard here. Uh, I wrote this before I met you. (laughs) Howard hosted an alien encounter television show that was, of course, fake. Somehow, the show retained a loyal audience. So he'd been renewed through five years of half-hearted interviews with self-professed witnesses and abductees. Howard knew he only fooled the foolish, but it paid his rent and college loans. Then one night, Howard was teleported from his bed to an alien ship. Returned five days later, he faced the show's producers. He gave me a choice, Howard said, shifting his dark circled eyes. Remember everything or nothing at all? After a long pause, he shrugged. They canceled his show that same day. Do you think he chose to forget? Or do you think he remembered and just didn't want to tell them? Well, if he remembered nothing, how would he remember being given the choice? The choice. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So Plus the, the dark eyes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I took away from <laughs> I like that. That works. That That's works. an interesting way that you did that. Either, you know, all or nothing. Mm-hmm. I, can yeah. you expand on why you... I just thought it would be an interesting choice. I I remember as a kid, pretty much fully expecting to be abducted by UFOs. Uh, (laughs) Had that kind of a kid imagination. There's actually a story about that later that I'll get to. Um, But, of course, it never happened that I know of. Um, (laughs) But I remember thinking, I wonder if they'll let me remember things. Because I had read all these science fiction stories. Mm -hmm. Do they let you remember? And and if you read some of the abduction literature, pe- they give people false memories. They didn't see an alien coming in their window. They saw an owl outside the window. They cover the memories. Boy, I didn't expect to talk about that tonight. <laughs> so that owl you think you saw? <laughs> um, so 100-word stories are great ways to poke fun at yourself. So I, I consider myself someone who's very good with directions, like when I'm driving. Not everybody else considers me to be good with directions. So this story is kind of about that experience. What, what is it like to be neurodivergent when it comes to directions? This story is called Geography. My mind is a vast expanse of uncharted territory, Jerry said as he looked both ways and engaged his turn signal. My mind contains rocky beaches pounded by thundering waves. There are rolling plains that stretch farther than a man could drive in a week, deep, 
fog-shrouded forests haunt the distant corners of my mind. Couldn't we just please use the GPS or ask directions, Linda replied from the passenger seat. My mind is an unexplored continent, Jerry called out as he turned onto an unpaved, rutted road going the wrong way for the ninth time in the past hour. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm not that bad. Am I not that bad? You're, you're pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not that bad. So uh, I also, not much, but I dabble in stories that would be called sort of genre stories where there's a little <clears throat> bit of a, a horror element. You know, it's fun to write a scary story in 100 words. And I probably shouldn't have told you this was a scary story because it's not supposed to be read as a scary story until you realize, whoa, that's scary. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it's called His Watch. The first time they met, Madison studied Gabriel's watch, where his wrist emerged from his suit jacket sleeve. Why had Gabriel chosen this watch? Had he been drawn to the band, a simple brown leather strap? Was there a reason he selected a silver face instead of gold? Had he admired the Roman numerals or found them a nuisance? Had Gabriel even selected this watch himself, or was it a gift from a loved one? Madison longed to ask, but the time for questions was over. Instead, she smoothed the wrinkles in Gabriel's coat sleeve and closed the casket lid. Ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, Betsy's here, so I can't read that one. Oh. <laughs> no. Just kidding. Um, so I did, her, I did a reading at the Senior Center uh, a few weeks ago. And by the way, the Senior Center here in town has authors every month. Uh, next week, uh, Howie... Uh, Farst, Farston, I think is his Fierstein. name. I've Fierstein. published him, yeah. He's great. Um, he's awesome. And he's going to be reading there, I think it's Tuesday at 11 a.m. Uh, because it's a senior center, everything takes place at 11 a.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was great. There was, a, there was a big crowd. They were really responsive. And I started reading the story, and then as I was reading, I remembered the ending, and I was like, ooh, this is probably not the story I should be reading at the senior center. But it's called... Lisa's final Uber gig. Lisa thought Bill looked spry for 80. She picked him up at his trailer, helped him into her big front seat, stashed his crutches in the back. Routine surgery. Drop off at 8, pick up at noon. Come in and sign some papers, kid, Bill said. Just formalities. Okay, whatever. Turns out those formalities made Lisa next of kin because Bill's kids lived three states away. Haven't seen him for decades. Bottom line, now she's stuck with a ratty trailer, rattier contents, a copay for not-so-routine surgery, and an undertaker's bill. The worst part? Lisa still can't chase the old man smell from the car. <laughs> And I remember reading that, and yeah. I, I looked around. I thought people were going to be like, oh, you're not that far away from where we are. You're so, but people were like, wow, that was great. Um, 
Okay, I didn't read this one at the senior center or anywhere else, but it's here. You guys are all consenting adults, so we'll read this one. It's called The List. This was in Need for Tea, I remember. Mm -hmm. Now you'll get The List, Johnson told Smith on Smith's first day after the promotion. The List, Smith repeated. Someone from IT will email it to you each morning, Johnson replied. It's everyone in your department who viewed online pornography the previous workday. Smith gasped. What am I supposed to do with that? You're a boss now, Johnson said. You decide. After Johnson left, Smith checked his email. The list contained 17 alphabetical names. These were friends, people he'd known for years, played tennis with socialized with their spouses, coached their children. The twelfth name from the top was Smith. What do you do with that list? <laughs> um, so people ask where writers get their ideas. Uh, I get a lot of ideas for stories from uh, one of my sisters who loves loves to talk and tell stories about what's going on in her life. And every once in a while I say, hey, can I use that in a story? <laughs> and she's like, sure. Uh, and so this one came from a conversation where she said her husband um, was a sleep talker. But then after a while, when they were texting, uh, when texting was invented, he started texting her in her sleep. His sleep. His sleep, yes. Mm -hmm. He started texting her in his sleep. So this one is called Message. Samantha's husband, Clark, was a sleep talker, sometimes asking after midnight, why is the sun bright? Or white wine or red for insurrection? Strange, but charming. When Clark discovered texting, nighttime turned oddly ominous while she read mystery, another mystery novel and sipped chamomile tea downstairs, Samantha's phone might chime with a message from her sleeping husband. Worried about stuff was a repeated warning that Clark couldn't explain the next day. Locked door, they're coming. Spelled T-H-E-I-R. Locked door, they're coming. Alarm Samantha beyond the painful grammar. I'm seriously was Clark's final message. That was the night they learned that their deadbolt wasn't as strong as they thought. <laughs> you're you're going to wake up at like three in the morning, like, is the door locked? <laughs> Your new obsession, checking the door. Yes. Um, so we have several people from our neighborhood here tonight, which is wonderful. Uh, we, we live in a great neighborhood where there's a million wonderful people and half a million wonderful dogs. Um, and that's, that's just kind of background to the story. It's called Moose and Blinky. The two men met as they had most afternoons for a decade. Their leashed dogs exchanged happy sidewalk butt sniffs. Moose eating better, the first man asked. Yep. New limited ingredient food, the second replied. Does blinkers need surgery? Hip healed up, the first man said. Underwater treadmill therapy, like a miracle. Great. Thanks. The men watched their dogs as birds chirped through a wordless minute. Hey, 
the second man said. I apologize, but I don't know your name. Will, Will said. Carl, Carl said. Their faces smiled at each other. Several elongated seconds ticked by. Okay, bye, Blinky. See you, Moose. <laughs> there, there are still people in our neighborhood who I only know as like, oh, that's Burger's daddy. <laughs> Wonderful little dog named Burger. I actually do know his name now, but it was years. It was years. <laughs> Um, here's the story that the title of the book comes from. So it's called For Now, which can mean a lot of different things. Um, partly it means, you know, this is right now. You can read these stories right now. You don't have to have a whole day set aside. They're for now. You can read them right now. Uh, it also means sort of a, a sense of something being temporary. Uh, it's just for now. Um, but that's, uh, it, I like to give books titles from key lines and stories that seem to represent a lot of different things. Um, this story is called The Path, and uh, the main character in here, Andy, is me as a kid. So. As the station wagon glided along the blacktop, seven-year-old Andy gazed out the backseat window. I love how the road follows this path through the mountains, Andy mused. The road goes exactly where nature meant it to go. Andy's parents, Roy and Stella, exchanged a glance in the front seat. It's beautiful, Andy said. Roy inhaled, prepared to tell his son about picks and shovels, about machinery and explosives, about the ways humans bend the earth to their wishes. Stella touched Roy's arm. The boy have this, Roy, she said. Roy paused, then nodded. Okay, but just for now. Mm-hmm. So there's little me, the dreaming idealist kid, and my parents, my dad, very practical, down to earth. My mom, also very practical, but a little more sort of open-hearted uh, and willing to let a little kid have something for now. So in terms of publishing, it's you're never sure what's going to happen. I send out lots of my stuff, and sometimes the things I think are terrible, not terrible, but a little bit weaker, get accepted. And things I think are fantastic get rejected over and over and over again. So I, I wrote this story, and I thought it was pretty good. And it got accepted to the first place I sent it to. And then just a few weeks later, I found out they had nominated it for Best Small Fictions, which is a yearly award, and I'd never been nominated for that before. And I felt like writing to them and saying, I got a lot better stories than this. Why did you nominate this one? Tell me what I did that you liked. But I didn't. Uh, I just smiled and felt good about it. But it's called Polar Conditions. After a year at the Antarctic Research Station, Lucas and Ned still enjoyed their bedtime dialogue. Five ways to die out here, Lucas said from his heavily blanketed bunk. Okay, Ned replied. Accident, Lucas said. Heart attack, Ned added helpfully. Yup, Lucas counted a third gloved finger. Suicide. Hmm, Ned nodded. Fifth, in your sleep at age 100, Lucas said. 
Here? Our contract's only two years, Ned corrected. They fell silent, shallow breaths fogging the darkness. You missed four, Ned mumbled. Ah, forget, Lucas sighed, slipping into sleep. Fifty yards away in the maintenance shed, their heating oil tank sputtered dry. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a a good story. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's the other UFO story, the other alien story. This is called The Response. Henry? The telephone voice sounded far away. Remember how much you loved reading science fiction as a boy? Yes, Henry replied. Remember how you wished the aliens would take you away? The voice asked. Who is this? Henry said. We're here, the voice responded. We've come for you. Henry recalled his childhood, spent staring at the stars, wishing for a spaceship to rescue him from his ordinary life. But that was decades ago. He now had a loving wife, three wonderful kids, a sweet dog, a meaningful career, a comfortable home, cable TV. Henry asked, can I call you back? (laughs) Um, This one's called Superman. And I read this one where I worked the other day. And the main, one of the main characters is named Michelle. And she thought I had actually written this about her. Uh, So uh, one of my colleagues was like, did you, did I talk to you about this? I was like, no, just a coincidence. Uh, It's called Superman. I vacuumed and mopped, Andy said to his wife, Michelle. Really? Michelle replied, looking up from scrubbing the upstairs toilet. Yes, Andy beamed, and you didn't even have to ask. Fantastic, Michelle said before turning back to attack the porcelain with a scrub brush. Your award ceremony will be on ESPN tonight at 7. Cool, Andy said, and he took his iPad to the downstairs bathroom to catch up on Facebook. 30 minutes later, when he flushed for the second time, he was starting to wonder if Michelle had been joking. He decided to set the DVR just in case. When, when people ask, like, how do you, like, get a story to be this short, you leave a lot of things out and leave them implied. And I, I think a good example of that is 30 minutes later when he flushed for the second time. Didn't need to go into any details on that. We can all figure it out. He took his iPad downstairs to the bathroom to catch up on Facebook. You know. That's a, that's a couple of chapters in a novel right there <laughs> that we got in two sentences. Um, I was actually going to read this one, but we have a guest reader who will do the reading for us. Texture. Diane touched her favorite photography award, the first of many presented 42 years ago. She stroked the deep grooves of her name etched in the metal. Her eyes moved left and found the photo that had earned that award. She leaned forward until her breath fogged the plexiglass. After three eye surgeries, all she could make out was the basic shape of the mountain range. 
She touched the glass, and for the first time in her life, she wished she had learned to paint. Thick brush strokes, coarse as the mountain rock beneath her fingertips, would have been a comfort. That's the audio book. So who's cool. reading? I read that. <laughs> it's not its own. It's not, <laughs> uh, were you going to say he's terrible? <laughs> it's, it's okay if you did. We're going to start doing that, right? I think we should. Audio yeah. books. Yeah. Um, someone once gave me the advice to never read sad stories at a reading. Only read the funny ones or the ones that make people nod and say, hmm. I like to throw in a sad one now and then, too. So this one's called Shoes. Johnson's dress shoes squeaked on the tile hallway at work like a toy in a puppy's mouth. It was worse on rainy days. He's, he wiped his feet but couldn't completely dry the soles. New co-workers snickered when he walked by, also eyeballing the small stain on his tie and threadbare cuffs of his slacks. But his longtime colleagues ignored the clown-like noises and decaying wardrobe. Johnson himself knew his shoes squeaked. How could he not? But his wife had given him those shoes for Christmas five years ago. That was the Christmas just before her diagnosis, decline, and inevitable departure. Mm a nice snapshot thank you but got to read a funny one a funny-ish one after the sad one uh this is called three little words wayne and jackson cracked open beers and admired jackson's yard in the gathering dusk your leaf blower game rules wayne said you rocked that rake jackson replied as they bumped fists they'll return to their offices tomorrow Pretend they enjoy wearing suits. I love you, Jackson said. Love you too, Wayne responded. (laughs) After a moment, Jackson said, it's okay to say that, right? Wayne nodded. It's true. It's what it's, Jackson said. What? Wayne asked. It is what it is, Jackson said, air quoting. It's what it's. (laughs) Never thought of that, Wayne said, offering a beer can toast. Good one. (laughs) Um, So getting getting up to the U's here, this one's called Up to Him. Someone coming in. Hi. Welcome. Come on in. I can just stand. You sure? Yeah, oh, you, know, you, know, this, you know what? There's a chair. You're welcome to the stool. You don't need it? I don't. Yeah, I'll bring the chair over. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I've got a chair for you. Yeah. So, everybody go around the room and introduce yourselves. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. I'm, I'm reading from my little book. For now, these are all stories that are exactly 100 words long. I did read about it. Oh, good. Good. Uh, This story is called Up to Him, and it's partly based in my own experience because I've developed something over the last five years called Trigger Finger. And like I can barely use my right hand right now. It really hurts. And I'm going to have surgery 
in January and then surgery on the left one in March or April. Uh, so it's, it's really weird and crazy. I've had cortisone shots three times and they work for a little while and help it get better, but then it always comes back and it comes back worse and it comes back faster every time. Um, and just for fun, I thought I'd write a little story about that. It's called Up to Him. Brian's hands betrayed him when he turned 60. After decades of power drills and chainsaws, hay bales and cement blocks, both index fingers curled and locked, snapped straight with electric twangs of pain. Brian assumed arthritis, but his doctor diagnosed trigger finger. Ironic, considering he hadn't fired a gun since his teen years. The treatment hurt as much as the affliction. Cortisone shots that swelled each finger to near-burst sausage rockets. Brian drove home using only thumbs and pinkies, knowing that he'd need surgery within a year. One at a time, or both hands at once. That was up to him. My choice is one at a time. And uh, Brian here in the story has it lucky because he had just one finger on each hand. I'm up to three on each hand now, which is so much fun. And then um, I'll finish up with the last story in the book. Uh, it's called Years. And it's uh, you've noticed most of these are third person. They're characters who have names and everything. There are only two stories in the book that are sort of nonfiction, where they use first person, the first person I, and it's it's me. There are a couple of stories that are I, but they're uh, sort of dramatic monologues read by a character. But this one is uh, is definitely me, and it's called Years. 20 years ago, one of my community college students wrote an essay about a day so busy that she forgot to pick up her seven-year-old daughter at school. She was terrified that the girl would be scarred for life from waiting an hour in an empty classroom. Her essay bore tiny puckers where teardrops had landed. Yesterday, I read another student essay about a day two decades ago when the student's mother forgot to pick her up from second grade. She remembered waiting alone, reading every book on the classroom shelf, hugging her mother tight and only crying a little. So that's for now, 100 word story. Thank you. Anybody have any questions? I, I might have missed this, but is it, are they all exactly 100 words? Exactly. Or do you, okay, so At least according sure, according okay. to the Microsoft Word Counter. Mm -hmm. I have to be careful because if I have an ellipse with spaces around it, it counts that as a word. So there are a couple of stories like that where I have to make sure it's like 101 words because the ellipsis counts as a word but really Weird. isn't. And it doesn't count the title. <laughs> By the way, there's a name for stories like that. They're called drabbles. I'm not making it up. That's there's, so cool. There's a literary journal called The Drabbler or The, the Drabble. Uh, and 50-word stories are called dribbles. <laughs> and the story in here, Shoes, about the guy with the squeaky shoes, that was in a literary journal called The Dribble Drabble Review. <laughs> that does 50-word stories and 100-word stories. 
Have you done 50 word ones? Pardon? Have you done 50 words? I've done a few 50 word stories. Uh, I don't think I could ever do a full book of them. In fact, I did, I think I did two about your son, Charlie. Aaron's son, Charlie. Uh, one was about when he wanted a TIE fighter for Christmas. And I thought he was saying typewriter. <laughs> so... I made a story with this really enthusiastic kid who wants a TIE fighter and his old impaired neighbor who's like, oh, I'll get you one of those and a, a whole ream of paper too. <laughs> then the other one was uh, when I was, I was shoveling the driveway and Charlie said, can I do that for you? And I was like, no, no, that's okay. And he was only like, I don't know, five at the time. And he said, when I'm old enough, I'll do it for you. And I said, Aww. thank you. And as he walked off, I'm like, please grow quickly. I'm so tired. <laughs> so I wrote little 50-word stories about those. <laughs> are those harder to write? They Maybe they are because I don't do them much anymore, <coughs> if at all. Um, yeah, they're pretty hard uh, to write and, and really get something into them yeah. that's not just a little joke or... Uh, a vignette or a little scene that's that feels like it has a full sense of story. Yeah, that's and, amazing. In a hundred words, that you, yeah. it, it's amazing that you, you can capture that. Yeah, magical. thank you. Yeah. It's it, it's so fun because the I, I still work full time. Uh, I'm teaching six classes this semester, which is kind of nice. It's pretty pretty nice. But um, twelve. So I'm, I'm, I'm working like pretty much all the time. Betsy will tell you, I, yes. I take my laptop to bed at night and mm -hmm. it wakes up before I do in the morning. <laughs> but um, because of that, you know, I read a lot of short stories and traditional length short stories and I write a lot of traditional length short stories. But because of the workload, sometimes I'll get an idea. Like the, the story, Lisa's Finer Uber gig about the Uber driver who picks up somebody and takes him to surgery and then he dies. I was gonna write that as a longer story. But then I just thought, well, I don't have time to write it as a longer story, but I, it's a really interesting idea. Let's see if I can do a hundred word story about it. And so I sat down and did a draft of it in like 15 minutes and it was about 250 words long. So over the course of the next week or so, I would come back to it when I had five minutes here and 10 minutes there and work on editing it. Take a 12-word sentence and turn it into an eight-word sentence. Mm -hmm. See the least important detail that didn't really, it, it helped the story, but it wasn't essential and just cut it. You know, it's, it's hard, it's really difficult, mm -hmm. but eventually I whacked it down to 100 words. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a pattern that I'm in now as a writer. I've been able to do a few longer stories that I come back to again and again. Uh, last year, between around Thanksgiving and when I went back at the end of January for the new semester, I, I wrote a 13,000-word story mm. about the oldest kindergarten, the oldest male kindergarten teacher in America. <laughs> that one's available as an ebook on Amazon mm -hmm. if anybody wants to look it up. Nice. But it was fun to just keep working and expanding and really just giving this guy a life mm -hmm. that spanned, he, he was like 74 years old, and really cover his life in this one story. 
but that's become a rarity. You know, I do maybe four or five longer stories a year if I'm lucky, and I do uh, one or two of these a week if I'm really chugging on them. Workload. Can I ask another? Sure. <laughs> who do you who do you like to read as far as a short story writer? Wow, that's a great mm-hmm. question. Um, right at the top of my list is Elizabeth Strout, mm-hmm. who wrote. Um, uh, Olive, Olive Kittredge. Olive Kittredge. Thank you. And then the sequel to it, Olive Again. Mm-hmm. And people sometimes call her book not her books novels when they're collections of short stories. Uh, there's a character named Olive Kittredge, who's this wonderful, really well-developed character. And in many of the stories, she's the main character. In some of them, she just kind of pops in and makes a quick appearance and says something obnoxious. And then she's not in the story <laughs> again. Or somebody just mentions her in the story. But those stories are, like, unbelievably good. I, I, I've reread Olive Kittredge, even though I forgot the title. I've reread it and listened to it on audio probably a dozen times. <laughs> And Olive, again, was just as good. You know how the sequel is sometimes not as good, mm-hmm. but it was just as good. Uh, just finished reading uh, Florida by Lauren Groff, mm-hmm. who's a novelist and a short story writer. And wow, that was really good. Uh, her stories were depressing mm-hmm. and a little bit angry-making, but captivating. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were really... Mm-hmm. Not not a lot of positive things happen in them, but they were really just so compelling. Mm-hmm. And then I got her earlier book of short stories from 10 years before and just finished reading that. And it was just okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, Florida by Lauren Groff is really great. Mm-hmm. There's a short story writer named Jacob Appel. Oh, yeah. He's probably sent something to Meet for Tea because he publishes everywhere. He has not. He sent me... Um copies of one of his books. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We're thinking I might review them, but ah. we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a crazy story. Uh, so I was at the Connecticut Literary Festival a few years ago, and there was a publisher there named, um, was it Black River Books? I can't remember. It's in, it's in upstate New York, and they come to the Connecticut Literary Festival. Black Lawrence? Black Lawrence, yes. And uh, this woman said, hey, do you know Jacob Appel? And I hadn't read him yet at that point. He's and I dead. said, I vaguely heard his name. And she said, he's going to be here. He's, he comes to these things all the time. And I said, oh, that's great. It'd be interesting to meet him. And she said, he's as close to a real genius as the world has right now. He's a medical doctor with a, a psychiatric specialty. Plus, he has a law degree. Plus, he has like seven or eight bachelor's degrees in things like history and philosophy. Plus he has an MFA in creative writing and another in, in fiction writing and another MFA in playwriting. And I was like, how old is this guy? Like, are we younger than I am. He's, he's like in his late forties. I think. There's, there's a movie that's available on Amazon prime, a little documentary about him. It's just called Jacob. And it's, it was made by his childhood friend who's a, a character actor who you'll probably recognize. He's been in a million movies. But um, so I met him and, and chatted with him briefly, and he seemed really nice. And I'm like, if he's a genius, he's, you know, he's not showing it. But I, I got a couple of his books, and I started reading his short stories, and I immediately had to order them all. Wow. Yeah, and he's, I, really he's got like seven or eight collections. 
They're really fantastic. And every short story book award that I entered this book in before it was published, where you win the award and they publish the book, every single one I entered, he had won in a previous year. Oh. About So about six of his books were from contests like that for being like, and they're, they're judged anonymously and everything. So it wasn't like, oh, here's Jacob Appel. Let's publish his book. So, and, and he ended up writing a blurb for this book. And he wrote a blurb for another of my books. In fact, he says of this book, uh, John Shire's Stumbling Through Adulthood is clever, witty, an intoxicating collection that will leave you leave readers staggering with delight. Mm-hmm. And he said, these are first-rate stories by a veteran master of the genre. Dang. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I met you once and took a chance emailing you. And you read some stories. That got my attention. Yeah. Yeah. So um, who else do I read? Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Thank you. Other questions? You've written a six-word story on the Meet for Tea cast. When I, when I do, yeah. When I do calls for six-word stories on our Facebook page, you've written a few. Yeah, those are fun. They're often a little too extreme for me in terms of condensing things. Like, I'm trying to remember one that I've written. I don't think I can right off the top of my head, but six-word stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of fun. We've had quite a few. Hemingway, of course. Oh, Yeah. Did that very famous, very sad one. Yeah. There's, it's a story that's attributed to Hemingway. Did he really write it? People are not sure, but I like to think he did. Um, and it's six words, and it's um, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Oh. I know. Isn't that devastating? Mm-hmm. That's classic. Wow. A, I can that's think of a seven um, word. I think it's seven words. I didn't realize it was attributed to Hemingway. Yeah. yeah. Seven. The king seven. died, then the queen died. Uh-huh. No, wait a minute. The E.M. Forrester, it's a very famous... Oh, yeah. ...very famous combination of the king died, then the queen died. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm going to have to look that one up. You know, I just saw on the shelf there uh, Barbara Kingsolver book. Oh, yeah. mm. Barbara Kingsolver is a writer everyone should read. She's great. Uh, She's amazing, yeah. And she has a collection of short stories. I, I bring everything back to short stories because yeah. I like them so much that I thought was fairly obscure that people didn't know about. And I was on Libro today, which is kind of like Audible uh, for audiobooks, except instead of benefiting uh, Jeff Bezos' space travel, uh, it benefits local bookstores. So you can identify a local bookstore. And Libro, when you buy an audiobook from Libro, it'll give some, some of that profit to the local bookstore. I'm sorry I identified Book Moon. It was before you opened. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. But uh, they're also an indie yeah. local bookstore. But I was I was looking at it just today and Barbara Kingsolver's like fifteen or twenty year old collection of short stories is now like number seven in short stories on Libro. The audiobook for this debuted at number ninety seven. Among short stories, it's pretty high up there, though. Yeah. It was like three thousand eight hundred overall. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Good. Which reminds me of my favorite book-selling story. So the writer uh, Firuze Dumas, who wrote um, "Funny and Farsi," it's a wonderful memoir about growing up in Iran and then moving to the United States when she was a child in the seventies, right after the hostage crisis. 
beautiful book. But when she got the book accepted to be published, you know how things will show up on Amazon before they're published and you can pre-order them? Well, her father, who's from Iran, uh, called her and he was so excited. He was saying, your book has sold 10 million copies already. And she was like, that's not even possible. It hasn't even been released yet. And he said, no, I was just on Amazon. And it said the ranking was 10 million. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that means like one person probably pre-ordered it at that point because it was ranked 10 million. If somebody buys your book, it'll automatically jump from like 9 million to... I don't know, 150,000 in the rankings. Yeah, those rankings aren't known for being <laughs> super precise. Yeah. I once bought 20 copies of my own book a long, long time ago off of Amazon and uh, then waited a day or two and the sales ranking was something like 110 on Amazon. And so I like did a screenshot of that page and printed it out. <laughs> Best-selling author. <laughs> for a hot second yeah. that's what I need to do I need to listen to our podcast about a thousand times drive up the numbers yeah other questions yes it's like very pedestrian but um, when I was putting it together I was like how did you come up with all of these names like that's a really interesting question because sometimes I'll just write them with pronouns or like nothing at all in there uh -huh. um just little placeholders sometimes i'll just put my own name in mm -hmm. um but uh sometimes i just take whatever name pops into my head mm -hmm. and usually it's some goofy pedestrian name mm -hmm. uh and i just noticed reading these stories the the young kid named is named andy but there's a character named Andy in a later story who's not the same Andy, and I didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. I thought I had used all distinct names. Uh -huh. But yeah, they just, whatever pops in my head that seems reasonable, and then I check other places. Mm -hmm. um, in this book, I actually gave characters some last names that had different meanings. Like there's a character whose name is... I can't remember his first name now. Um, you know, the name of the story is called Exit. Dave Alistair. And Alistair is like a, it's a, hom a homonym when something sounds the same as something else um, to a Japanese word that means terrible man. And I just found that on the internet. And this character is probably the third or fourth worst person in the whole book. So I gave him the name Dave Alistair. So some of them have meanings. When, when there's a character named Jack, 99% of the time it's me. <laughs> when did this uh, genre of hundred word stories begin? You know, the oldest ones I've seen are about 20 years old where people really strive to make it exactly 100 words. Uh, so it hasn't been around very long. And there's probably only, if there are 10 books like this, of 100 word stories, I'd be surprised because I own about seven or eight and I'm looking for them all the time. And, and books of 100, 100 word stories, I know of two other ones besides mine. So I don't know how you can do a book of 100, like 
I have a writer I really respect. His name is Robert Scottolaro. Uh, and I've corresponded with him, and he's really great. And he actually wrote a blurb on here where he said, what a spectacular collection of 100-word stories. But um, he, he published a book of 75 100-word stories. <laughs> and I know he's written more than 75. That's just weird. Yeah, it feels incomplete. It does. That's just weird. <laughs> My brain wants it to be up. It's like It's like playing Silent Night on the piano and then like not playing the last... Yeah, or something. <laughs> Stopping. <laughs> Very strange. Meg Pocross, you know. Yes, she's great. I published her. Oh yeah. 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 She's. There are probably four or five writers who are sort of like gurus of the microfiction. Yeah. Where they do um, a lot of workshops. Meg, how do you pr- pronounce her name? I say Pocross. Pocross. But I haven't met her. That sounds person. good. For her to correct me. So. Yeah. Meg Pocrest, a writer named Kathy Fish, another one named Sandra Arnold, where they're writing at a really high level, plus they do 30 or 40 workshops a year, each one. And they're Zoom workshops primarily. Some of them, like uh, Sandra Arnold, teaches at, I think, at the Naropa Institute in Colorado that Allen Ginsberg was a big part of. So she does a lot of in-person ones. But they're doing these online Zoom workshops, and they're producing really good writing at a high level. So they're they're fun people to follow. Yeah, she does something on Substack where you can follow her and get oh, writing yeah. prompts. Oh, oh, yeah, the prompts. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can do a premium subscription or the free one, which I do. It still I, gets you little things. I, I don't do many premium subscriptions. <laughs> no, it, it requires a oh, I followed, budget. I follow the writer George Saunders. Who's I adore a him. novelist yeah. and an incredible short adore story. Him. I should have mentioned him in the first two or three names. Edgar Carrot too. Yeah, yeah. George Saunders does a uh, uh, email list that's called. It's probably Substack, but I'm not technical enough to know if it's, it's Substack. Same, yeah, same one. But it's it's called does. Office Hours, and yeah. I do the free one. And once or once or twice a week, I get an email from him talking about a story he's working on or talking about a story that he's read and what it means to him. And at the end, it always says, you know, you can go up to premium and get more. And mm. I'm like, yeah. what What more? It's the same <laughs> one. I just subscribed to several authors. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and Meg was one of them, too. Yeah, she's great. And Edgar Carrot, too. Yeah. It's funny. I think we published Meg enough now that I could have sort of met her in person. <laughs> We've been publisher for years. It's been a while, but that name... Since she moved yeah. to the UK, because she can't get a physical print copy, so uh-huh. she made a conversation yeah. about it. That's That was the deciding factor, and that's too bad. Can't afford to ship them. It's a yeah. million dollars. 26 bucks to ship one copy of the magazine Ooh. overseas. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's one copy. That's crazy. It's, uh, somebody going over there for vacation with an extra suitcase. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, by the way, there are not a lot of print journals left in the United States mm-hmm. or in the world. The Gettysburg Review just stopped. Oh, yeah. And the Tin House recently stopped. Yeah. And then there's Atticus Review also stopped. And these were, at least two of them were attached to large academic institutions. Oh, yeah. had funding. Yeah. And they still stopped. And I, I love online journals. Uh, I think they do a lot of great stuff. But print journals mm-hmm. are like... It's, yeah. they're just so, 
personal and tangible, tangible, mm-hmm. and, and to trip down memory lane to when there just were print journals. Mm-hmm. And where I work at is Nantuck Community College in Enfield, Connecticut. We do a yearly print journal. It's called Freshwater Literary Journal, and we also make it available online. What's we, the name of that journal it. you were holding up? In your hand. This one, Meat for Tea. We've been talking about this one. This is the one. Uh, do you want to tell? One, it just came out. Yeah. Yeah. Too. yeah. Uh, and it's for sale, I understand. He's a subscriber. Yeah. He's holding up his subscription copy. And and I, I understand there's an interesting story behind the title, Meat for Tea. You can hear it on the podcast. <laughs> it's been mentioned in the podcast several times. Oh, my God. There's a note in the book that says that we can ask about it. Yeah, there is. In in the acknowledgments of my book, I say, I say many thanks to Elizabeth McDuffie and Mark Allen Miller for bringing this book to life and for being a constant bright light of support for authors, artists, and musicians in Western Massachusetts and beyond. Also, for those wondering the origins of the name Meat for Tea, mm-hmm. Elizabeth has a great story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so I guess, like, it doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> did, did, we, did we go into it on the Fabulous 413? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so find okay. the Fabulous 413 with us. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a quick and dirty way to get it. It's, it's, on, it's <laughs> on our podcast, too, several times. This is, John is on our podcast on Reading from Stumbling Through Adulthood. Yeah. And, and we, we should spent, have you back on again. I'd love to be back on again because there have been more developments in the Real Housewives series. So we talked about those. Are you watching that? Yes. Which 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 cities? What what are we watching? New York. <laughs> Beverly Hills. The, the new New York? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. You both have to come on and we'll we'll do a bonus episode for our Patreon side talking all things Bravo verse. Because uh, are you watching Salt Lake City? Oh, I hear there's like crime in that one. We never got into that. Anymore. Yeah. You you need to. We're we're the we're in the oh, core, oh god, Beverly the, Hills, Beverly uh, Hills, Orange County, New York. So did you watch the, the dinner party from Halva in the most Ooh. recent episode? Denise Richards. Whoa. She was... Was she drinking Everclear? Something, What yes. the hell? Absinthe. Something. Absinthe. <laughs> Mixed there, with something else. Either you get it or you get it. There are no stories <laughs> like in this Xanax book about the Real Housewives. <laughs> was that the cocktail she was on? <laughs> that was some heavy-duty slurring. Um, I, I have a column coming out in the Gazette on Monday. Most people who know me as a writer know me because for the past 11 years, I've had a monthly column in the Gazette about, I call it about current events, but it's often about like the crazy things happening in politics, for instance. Oh, I didn't read the story with, I have to remember the name of it because these are alphabetical. Oh, it was FAQ, like Frequently Asked Questions. So I am going to say the name. Good, I found one. Uh, but it will work in the context. So this is called FAQ for Frequently Asked Questions. After she died, Jennifer met Peter at the gates of heaven. We'll happily answer all your questions now, the saint proclaimed. Is Bigfoot real? Jennifer asked. Bigfoot is a very special child of God, Peter replied, love filling his voice. The Loch Ness Monster? Jennifer asked. She guided Noah's Ark. 
Aliens? Jennifer wondered aloud. Peter chuckled. So abundant that only God's mind comprehends their number. Why did people follow Trump? St. <laughs> Peter's smile fell immediately. That's not our department, he said, shuffling his feet on the cloud-like floor of heaven. That question can only be answered in the other place. <laughs> nice. Yes, that will not be, that will not be believed. <laughs> All right. That's so good. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank this you. Is, this is so much fun. Thanks again for hosting and recording. Thanks so much for doing this. All right. Thanks for listening. That was fun. Wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we I know were... you're going to just jump right on over and leave your five-star review with comments about how great that reading was. Hint, hint. Maybe. No, it's not a hint. It's a mandate. <laughs> That's right. Go, go now. Maybe quotes from the stories that you liked. Maybe some of you are reading along in your own copy. Mm. That's fun to do. Yeah. You can always get a copy from MeForTea.com and then go back and listen to that episode again and read along. Anyhow, thank you so much. We're, we want to wish you all great holidays. Yeah, happy Festivus, happy Kwanzaa, belated happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and we're hoping for a wonderful 2024 for everybody. And yeah. may your landlords not sell your house out from under you. Mm. Think good thoughts for us, folks. All right, we'll, we'll be back in probably a couple weeks. See you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth. Meat for Tea on Instagram. And on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.